Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Aaron Peterson, partner and global talent acquisition consultant with People Results. In each episode, Aaron interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA today. There's nothing Aaron is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Aaron Peterson. Hi everyone, this is Aaron Peterson. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. So here's the thing, being a talent acquisition leader is a tough job, and if that's your title, you need lots of friends. I hope this podcast will become one of your friends as we dive into the brains of the big fish in our industry and swim around a little with them, seeing how they tackle the joys and the challenges of leading global recruiting. Okay, so enough with the metaphor. I think you get it. Let's go and let's meet my next guest for this episode. For our big launch, I caught up with Tara Noonan Amaral at ERE. She's the SVP and Head of Talent Acquisition for Fidelity Investments. I've known Tara for a long time and I was really privileged to be able to pick her brain for a good hour and a half. Her career since graduating from Brown University spans 30 years with a focus on financial services organizations like J.P. Morgan Chase, Hewitt Associates, now Aon, New York Life, and ADP. She's held both client-facing business roles as well as internal corporate roles and had an interesting pivot into RPO. But here's what I love best about Tara's background. She's the embodiment of Sheryl Sandberg's lean-in concept. Tara has taken the hard assignments, overcome huge obstacles, led things nobody else wanted to, taken risks, and learned a ton along the way. Tara and I were having so much fun talking about her experience that we ran pretty long, so I decided to break this episode up into three parts. So here's episode one, part three of Big Fish in the Talent Pool with Tara Amaral. Enjoy. Um, okay, you mentioned AI earlier, so, uh, you know, let's face it, I mean, it's coming. I think we're, we're all uh, trying to be smart about how to integrate AI into the talent acquisition process. So what do you think about it? How do you think talent acquisition leaders should prepare? So I think you, I think all of us really need to understand what it is and what it isn't. And there's a lot of things that candidates, I think, will find easy and um, appropriate. And then I think once you start getting beyond real personal information, we have to figure out what's the handoff from the AI chatbot to a live recruiter. Mm -hmm. So I do think we have to get our recruiting teams comfortable. We have to educate candidates about what it is and what it isn't. Mm -hmm. um, I did see a few this week that felt like a real person. Mm -hmm. um, and that was not the same maybe two years ago. So mm -hmm. I do think that it's being advanced pretty quickly. Um, it's not going to replace recruiters in the long haul, right? I think part of our, our concern is we get so many people that apply to jobs. How do you get through them in a high-quality way? And so is it, do we want more people or do we want fewer qualified people based on the skills, the competency, and the culture fit? Um, and so that's where I think if we can be better about that as a company, presenting who we are and what we are, having people, giving people the ability to self-select out yeah. is much better than having to go through more and more people. So I think AI can actually play a bigger role there because ultimately then you get a better prospect or candidate experience. They feel more in control. Right. 
Okay, so if I understand you right, you're saying if AI has a role, it's more at the, the top of the funnel to help people self-select so that you really are not spending time with people who shouldn't be in the process. Right, or, or they don't know enough to take themselves out of the process. Right. So as an example, if I know our jobs are really going to be in a location and we can get to, does that person really want to move? Do they have any affinity to stay in that, that location? How right. do we get at that earlier rather than three interviews in? Right. Right. And so those mm -hmm. are the types of things that I think AI can really play a role in. Okay. At the end of the day, I still need recruiters who will pick up the phone and call people, yeah. right? Because we're still, at some point, we're still going to have a conversation with somebody. Right. Um, and may get, it may be later in the process, but we still have to give them a feel for the culture of, of our company. Okay. And let me take that to its logical conclusion then, not to be, um, you know, a negative Nelly, but let's say we do our job and and chatbots or other forms of AI narrow the funnel such that we're really just spending time with candidates that are a potential good fit, and then you have a hiring manager who says, hang on, I want to see more candidates. But what you've brought to them is better qualified candidates that they should be able to choose from a, a smaller pool. Yes. Have you dealt with that? I have, and my team uh -huh. knows I call that window shopping. Uh -huh. um, so we're um, putting new um, goals in place for the recruiters that I'm holding them accountable for a slate, and we're still defining what a slate is, right. of diverse, hireable talent. Yeah. And so it's not for the manager to keep asking for more and more mm -hmm. because we're going to be measuring if the manager continuously wants to see more, then there was something wrong at the engagement call. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be able to reset that sooner so that we're not wasting time and hours on things that are not as clear. So what was wrong about the candidate slates that we're putting in front of you, and let's reset the expectation. Okay, really so. interesting. <laughs> and then speaking of metrics and um, you know process, uh, why hasn't time to fill been reduced? I mean, let's face it, 25 years ago, we were hiring people with 30, 45, and 60 days time to fill. Yeah. It's still that way. What, what's up? So it's interesting. I, um, we just completed our scorecards, and I would tell you that time to fill just snuck back on my scorecard again. I thought I successfully had it off. <laughs> I took another look, and like, how did it end up back on there again? And you're right, it has not changed significantly. Um, what I'm finding now, as we've recently restructured our recruiting processes, and we'll be introducing this idea of SLAs with the hiring managers, mm -hmm. um, when I'm looking at some of the first rounds of data, we have now about six months of data showing the different steps, consistent use of the steps, and understanding where the bottlenecks are. Okay. Interestingly enough, most of the bottlenecks have nothing to do with sourcing. Right. Or getting the slate. The bottlenecks are with manager availability for interviews yep. and getting manager feedback. Okay. So I think that's actually where a lot of the sluggishness is. Managers are inundated with lots of priorities. We need to figure out how do we make it easy for them to give us feedback, meaningful feedback, so that we can also give it to the candidates because candidates are always asking for more, like why didn't I advance? Right. So I think those two pieces are going to be I instrumental in allowing us to do different things. So there are new technologies out there about in, you know interview scheduling that could help shorten that window. Mm -hmm. We have an internal another team AI that does reference. another AI. Mm -hmm. And so I think we're going to have to see about that. We were just in another presentation where they talked about just changing the hiring process so managers 
um, are later in the process or you're hiring in pools of people, of talent, which we do for some of our functions. And so you're just eliminating whole steps of the process yeah. that would save you time. And we have found that that works for some of our functions as well. Right. But I'm not, I don't consider it a meaningful um, metric at this point. Yeah, and, and I agree. Um, and it's friction. At the end of the day, it's friction. And if we can take the friction out, I believe we can meaningfully reduce the amount of time that it takes. I do. And it is, back to our RPO days, we know that when an RPO team is being held to a particular SLA, and that SLA is too long, the, often the feedback is, well, but... The hiring managers were slow. Exactly. Okay, well, we're a team here, so we have to figure out how to take that friction out, right? And it's it's just hard. It's hard. It is hard, yeah. and I think time is, you know, it works against everybody because yeah. you always think you can do it. Um, right. Right. But there there is some natural sluggishness in the process. Right. Um, and one of the things we've been saying to managers, particularly in those fields where we know it's highly competitive, if we're not going to get faster, we're just going to lose everyone. Yeah. And so we really have to figure out what's the business opportunity to, to speed it up mm -hmm. because we will lose talent at the end of the day. Right. Yes. They will go elsewhere. And so what advice do you give most often, often to millennial job seekers? So it's interesting, um, and I think I, I may give the same advice to all job seekers, but particular millennials or the next couple generations that are in the workforce now, I do ask them to think about what are they trying to learn and to explore within their company before they need to feel like they have to jump ship. Mm -hmm. Most of the research we've seen is that they would rather stay then have to move unless they really feel like they have to geographically move and the company doesn't have something to offer them. Um, but really making sure that they understand the firm that they're with and can focus on learning about pivots within their organization or other business units within a larger company if they're working for a larger company. And then I also impress on them the value of networking. Um, so both internally and externally. Um, we're always telling people it pays to be curious. At Fidelity, we have a lot of resources, lectures, online, guest speakers that are available live or via video or recorded sessions to really demonstrate that you are an active, curious learner. Um, try to participate in cross-team projects, cross-business unit projects to get exposure and understand things. Mm -hmm. um, and take advantage of the resources your company may offer um, because I do think that um, it's often easier to look for a job externally than it is internally, which is um, something I've heard at most companies. Right. Um, we're trying to make it easier. Okay. Really great point. Um, and especially the curiosity and the, and the pivots. You're right. It's not specific to millennials. No, it's, I think yeah. it's across the board. Right. Okay. I like that. Um, all right. Let's talk about from a career perspective. We, we all have our failures. Most of us don't want to revisit them. I know I don't. Is there one that you'd be willing to share that could help future talent acquisition leaders to be better leaders? Yeah, and I, you know, without naming um, specifics, I think there are a couple things in my career. Um, make sure that the job you're taking really needs to get done. Um, and so particularly in our space now, everybody reads things and they think they have to do what everybody else is doing. In a lot of cases, you don't have to. Um, and so make sure that if you're being hired to fix something, try to figure out is there really a problem or culturally 
is the organization ready to make the leap from where they are to where they think they want to be and really understand the stakeholder buy-in. And that can happen, you know, if you're a recruiter and you're asking somebody to update their LinkedIn profile and do things that they're not, you know, they haven't done as part of their job, but really getting a better understanding of the cultural um, point and what kind of uh, trajectory the, the organization is on. I think that would be my biggest learning. So sounds like you've run into that before. I have. Obviously. So, but practically, how can a talent acquisition leader candidate, somebody who's actually interviewing with a company, really get under the covers before they say yes in yeah, that so, situation? So what I'm smarter about now, which I tell other people to do, is talk to people that you know who work there, Yeah. Um, even if it's a short time, but more importantly, talk to people who left. Um, and and, it, and nobody, nobody ever leaves disgruntled. I've, I've loved all of the employers that I've worked for, um, and I've had very good experiences. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, even if you're in, a, in, in an organization, you get put on a project, and you're not sure if it's got the support that the project needs to get accomplishments. Right. And so that, to me, is just, don't, just because we should do it, or the, the New York Times says you should be thinking about this, doesn't mean that the organization has to do it. And I think that's kind of my biggest learning, whether it's um, we have a lot of conversation about assessments. Um, what role do assessments have in recruiting? They're good for some things. They're not good for other things. But an organization has to be ready to embrace assessments um, because there is a culture shift now on how you're going to be collecting data, using data, and making decisions around selection tools. Right. Um, and so, you know, you just can't put them in. There's a science behind mm-hmm. it, and you need to have partnerships to do that. I suppose that could be said of AI as well. Exactly. It's, it's the hot, shiny penny. Everybody thinks we ought to be doing it, but you got to make sure. Exactly. It's really going to And at the end of the day, you still have to make sure you have a strong foundation, right? So we call it mastering the foundations or back to basics. Um, but your core recruiting process has to be good to begin with before you start to layer on or fake other things. Okay. Totally agree. So what advice would you give to an ambitious recruiter who wants to advance and be a leader? Let's say she wants your job. Does that change your advice at all? No. In fact, (laughs) again, my team thinks I'm crazy. So in one of my early meetings, I said, look, part of my job here is to see if one of you wants to be in my seat. Yeah. Um, And so so I do suggest that people take stretch assignments. Um, Don't stay in the same, same exact job too long. So we move people around whether they're supporting different businesses or I'm a big believer in working for different managers because I do think you learn from working for different people. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're with the same manager, you kind of you know finish each other's sentences. I think there's um, diversity of experience is just as important. Um, own your craft. So um, recruiting is a little bit different these days in that it used to be kind of a tour of duty. Mm-hmm. And now it's really a specialty practice like compensation is. Yeah. And so I think people that were in recruiting maybe 10 years ago still think it's the same, and it's really not. I think you know that as well. You That's have right. to really know exactly what's going on. Right. Um, so I do think it's helpful to get some other exposure to other things because I think there's going to be more and more um, demand that you are a practitioner. Right. Um, you and I are involved in a new organization called ATAP, the Association of Talent Acquisition Professionals, where this new not-for-profit is devoting its entire focus on helping build a craft. 
um, establish a place where recruiting professionals, whether they're vendors or corporate or agency recruiters, can come for a, for a body of knowledge right. to help them develop their expertise, whether they're new to the profession or experienced. Right. Um, there hasn't been that one location, but you have to get outside your comfort zone. And take other jobs in recruiting. People go from social media to recruiting to sourcing, um, but each of those now have become specialty practices. Right, and uh, it's only getting more um, challenging, I think, as each one of those specialties develop. And what I love about ATAP is that it's going to be establishing global standards, Yes, which is something that has been much needed for a yes. long time. So, In fact, we just presented a work a body of work at SourceCon to try to come up with um, standards for sourcing metrics. Mm -hmm. um, and cool. so it, it, they differ whether you do it in-house as a dedicated sourcer, as part of a full cycle recruiting, or whether you're a provider um, giving sourcing candidates, source candidates to your client. Okay. Um, so that was some good work that was presented at SourceCon. Outstanding. Yes. It's just getting better. It hopefully. is. <laughs> All right. In Fidelity, you have a CEO succession happening. I think it's fairly well known yes. that uh, things are being handed off to the founder's daughter. Um, can you tell us what, what's that like from your perspective as the head of talent acquisition? What, how, how does that change your outlook, your role, your approach? Um, so Abby Johnson is really inspirational as a leader and mm -hmm. as a female leader, um, she's, you know, she's a leader first and foremost, but as a female role model, she's really very spectacular. She has talent on two or three places on her scorecard, so she's really raised the visibility on why talent for the firm is important. Wow. Um, so it's been a really good dialogue with her about um, what we're doing, how we're doing it, um, what our social media presence is, how she shows up in the media. Um, and we, you know, as a private company, we don't do a lot, um, mm -hmm. but we're doing more and more. So really helping us raise the visibility of the firm has been very important. She's, um, she's very creative and she's really um, helping us learn how to be more agile as a company. And so she's really asking us to flex in places that maybe we haven't done before. Um, so it's been very exciting to be a part of. That's awesome. Yeah. To have yet another woman CEO who is going to be making waves. Yeah, she's she's really great. She's very uh, engaged in the business, and she participates in everything. Outstanding. Yeah. Okay. Well, anything else that you'd like to share? Anything that you think would be valuable for future and current talent acquisition leaders to know about this really interesting profession we have found ourselves in? Um, what, what would you say? So I think, and I know it's not for everybody, but I think um, even when I look at the HR functions, this is still part of the HR function that is the most consumer related, right? It is the external face of a company to prospective employees. It is the internal place oftentimes of satisfaction for associates about do they have an opportunity to advance their career. Um, and I do think that there will be a closer partnership with um, career mobility, career management, both internally and externally, as companies are trying to figure out how to engage with talent more. Um, I do think the, uh, the flip side of that is we, we now hear about the gig economy. Right. And what impact will that have mm -hmm. on full-time hiring versus shorter-term hiring? Mm -hmm. And I do think that companies have to understand what does that mean? What talent and skills do I need for certain roles that are short term? Um, and really trying to understand how does that fit into the 
overall talent strategy of the company. So that one, I think, is still a work in progress. Um, And then this is a job that is really fun. I mean, Mm -hmm. we do cool things. You change people's lives. You get to really help influence a business direction. Um, And so it's really satisfying. Um, And so there's usually a really dynamic group of people that are in the industry who are always willing to help. So... I do think that people should participate. You know, this is not a job that you you can just go home at night, but you can really get engaged in the profession, which I think is very cool. Yes, completely agree. Well, Tara, this has been just so fun and interesting and enlightening. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, Thanks a lot, Erin. It's been great. I hope you enjoyed hearing Tara's thoughts on AI, metrics, handling failure, and what it's like to go through a CEO succession. If you haven't heard parts one and two of my interview with Tara, look them up. You won't be disappointed. She's got some great insights on RPO, new technologies, and navigating life as a woman executive. My thanks to Tara for her authenticity and willingness to be my first interview here on the Big Fish podcast. Episode two of Big Fish in the Talent Pool is in production and will be released soon via ERE Media and through the People Results Network. Watch for the announcement of upcoming guests on my social media and on people-results.com. Thanks for listening. My thanks to Todd Raphael and the ERE team, Caroline Boucher, marketing guru for People Results, and of course, Patty Johnson, CEO and fearless wave maker at People Results. Without them, Big Fish in the Talent Pool would not have happened. Until next time, in the words of my friend Dory, Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ERE.net, and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Erin directly at E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N at people-results.com. You can also follow Erin on Twitter at Erin McPeterson, Connect with her on LinkedIn and learn more about her practice at people-results.com.